Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> if we're going to title this, we're going to say, In Christ you can be perceptive. Right? In Christ you can be perceptive. Uh, a Dutch pastor tells a story. He says that my grandfather uh, progressively started going blind in his 70s and lived um, to his early 90s. Now, he too was Dutch, and he was stubborn. Uh, he would listen to what was going on around him, you know, the grandkids playing and all that. And he had this saying, I, I cannot see, but I know. The pastor said, we used to laugh because we were much younger then, but thinking about it later, we realized that he was actually really wise. See, a lot of people have fantastic uh, eyesight, but they don't see the most obvious things around them, such as when a son comes home with the report card that has five A's and one A minus. You know, the dad reports, well, how come you got the A minus? You know, can't, the, can't the dad see what he is doing, crushing his son? Is, you know, is it the dad's own fragile ego? Was it the, you know, his dad was hard on him, so that's all he knows? Doesn't the dad see what he's doing to his boy? Or another instance might be young love just blossoming. And you know, the woman is attracted to the guy, and of course the guy has no idea, right? Someone needs to show him the obvious because guys can be so clueless. You know, the lady said, Amen. there you go, yeah. But then, you know, women can be pretty oblivious too. Um, oblivious, there <laughs> we go, yeah oblivious to what's happening to the people around them or even what they're doing to the people around them. This kind of thing can happen in our spiritual life also. I mean, we, we see God's creation. We see the impact of, 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 of transformation that Christ can, can, can work in us from the old man to the new man uh, in Christ. We see the scriptures. We can read them. We, we see how our lives and reactions are and how they either are or are not in line with commands of Jesus. But are we really seeing? Are we really understanding what is going on? I mean, how do we filter all the grace and forgiveness and eternal life and, 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 and transformation? Okay, we, we see all this, but do we perceive this? Well, in Philippians, Paul is telling us that we can, and he even shows us how, that in Christ we can be perceptive. Look at verse 8, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brethren. Just because a pastor or a preacher says finally does not mean he has any intention of quitting soon, just so you know. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and whatsoever things are honest and whatsoever things are just and whatsoever things are pure and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, how, how does this passage work into our lives? Well, the structure of the message is really simple. We're going to look at each word. We're going to see where else it's used in Scripture. Uh, and then we're going to see how we can be people who are perceptive, okay, perceptive to the things that God wants our attention on. So we look at the word finally. Paul uses the word to bring to close a section of teaching on an important uh, response that us Christians are supposed to have and then move our attention forward from this point. 
We see the same word in uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, where he says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, from Ephesians 5.21 to chapter 6, verse 9, Paul is dealing with, he's showing how families and social structures should function, and he's, he's moving towards the putting on the whole armor of God. So he reminds them that if family and social structure are going to be what they should be, and if the armor of God is going to be worn correctly, rightly, then we need to be strong in the Lord. So he says, finally, in order to get their attention. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, the finally is translated furthermore, where it says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. <clears throat> He's telling them, okay, don't just stop. Even when you have it all together, even when, when, when you have matured and you have grown, all right, keep moving forward. Keep growing and keep maturing. The finally, or in this case, furthermore, it's, it, it's a call not to stagnate. All right? that, that's what Paul is doing here in Christ. As we've covered, you can be joyful. In Christ, you can be gentle. In Christ, you can have peace. That's great that you're doing this, but keep pressing forward. Don't stop there. There's still a ways that we need to go. We, we press forward by, in this case, stretching our thinking. Let, let these thoughts consume you. Look at the end of verse 8 where it says, Think on these things. You, you make these things a habit of thought. Careful reflection. A.T. Robertson says, We are responsible for our thoughts and can hold them to high and holy ideals. We control what we think on. Okay? Otherwise, this command means nothing. It's, it's un obeyable. If we can't control what we think on, this command makes no sense. If we can't control our thoughts, then God is setting, setting us up for failure, which God does not do. If he gives us a command, he gives us the ability, the capability to obey him. Scripture tells us that as we think in our heart, so are we. So our thoughts become our life. Our beliefs become our behavior. Our thoughts form our character. And God says, think on these things. Purposely, proactively think on these things. And if you catch yourself not thinking on these things, then get those thoughts out of the way and think on the things you're supposed to. Then he begins his list of the things that we are to purposely, proactively focus our minds on. He says, whatsoever things are true. Um, in Acts chapter 12, Peter is going on trial. Uh, he's been preaching the gospel. He's been told not to. He did it anyways. Kind of like a teenager, right? But a little different. Peter sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains. He has sentries uh, standing guard at the entrance. And then an angel comes and lets him out of prison. Now in verse 18 and 19 of this account, it says, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what was become of Peter. Now, it's no small stir because 
for a guard to lose their prisoner, they forfeited their life. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 19 says, And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers. Right? And then he commanded that, he should be put, that they should be put to death. And then he went from Judea unto Caesarea. So, I mean, those soldiers lost their lives. But the point being that Herod examined the keepers. All right? By this, Herod was searching for what was true. He's searching for the truth, all right? what is real, what is genuine, not a cover-up. What are the facts? Not the lies, okay? not the conspiracy theories that feed your flesh's imagination, but the truth. Now, always keep in mind that, that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Uh, you can't always trust your heart to tell you the truth. Also, that the devil is the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks lies, he speaks his native language, but he disguises himself as an angel of light, and his scheme is to continue to blind the lost and then to deceive the elect if he can. So he seeks to distort truths in our lives, which is why we must dwell on things that are true, things that are factual, things that line up with the word of God. Not Facebook true, okay? not Instagram true, but things that are truly true. They meet that standard or fail that standard by their relationship to the word of God. Then the next thing he says, what sort of things are, are honest? We could say noble, uh, worthy of reverence, we could say. In Titus chapter 2, verse 2, it says uh, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The call here is, is, is to think on things that have a dignity. Um, that the older we get, the more people look up to us and, and ought to respect us. There's a Greek word related to this in connection with an issue of alcohol consumption, not allowing the effects of alcohol to make us unknoble, um, to make us act in a way where we don't deserve the reverence. Now, we've seen that in action, sadly, what alcohol can do to people. You are to think focus on, plant your thoughts in the things that stop you from losing control and losing your dignity. You focus on that which will enable you to have a noble, reverent character. You focus your mind on the things worthy to be revered. Now, there would need to be a maturity about the way your mind works for this to be done. But again, if God commands it, he will enable it to be obeyed. Then he goes on, whatsoever things are just. And here we could say just or righteous or, or right. Now, that's not right as in being correct. Um, um, every once in a while, Becky will say that I'm right, and, and I'll, I'll want her to repeat it, you know, just to make sure I heard it. Right, right? That's not what this is. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Then Joseph, her husband, talking about Mary, being a just man, same word, not willing to make her a public example, uh, was minded to put her away privately. 
In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 4, it says this. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, okay, just, I will give you, and they went their way. Now we see it used negatively in Matthew 23, 28, where it says, even so, uh, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous. Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Uh, you, you appear righteous or just or right unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Now, the combined meaning of these verses is this. It is acting gracefully, being unexpectedly generous, being generous beyond your rights necessarily, recognizing that, that a spiritual life is about a relationship that impacts your connection with others. Again, righteousness seems to pour from this word. Living God's grace daily, okay, think about that. If you will be just, okay, if you'll be right, if you'll be just, then you must be gracious. And if your mind is stayed on this, then you will treat others justly. You'll treat others rightly. And the next thing we see is what sort of things are pure. That's, that's everything that is pure. Your things, your thoughts, your words, your deeds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses uh, 2 and 3, it says this, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I, I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest, any, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay, that word chaste in verse 2, that's our word pure. In Christ, we are positionally guiltless and clean, right? We've been washed in the blood, and our sins are gone. But when we step outside of Christ's commands in disobedience, we, we can lose that, 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 that purity. We don't lose our salvation by, by any means, but, but we can disobey our Heavenly Father and become defiled, so to speak, ceremonially unclean, we could say. The concept is seen in the Old Testament sacrificial system. Impurity meant that, that an item couldn't be used to, 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 to worship at the temple unless it was clean through the ceremonies that were necessary. That which is pure or clean was suitable to be presented to God. And the call here is to think, dwell on, Focus, set your mind on whatever it is that will help you focus on sacred and holy things. In this visual age, what are the images that we are going to allow to get into our minds and impact our behavior? Will you turn off the halftime show? Will you put accountability software on your phones and computers? Will you give your husband or wife all of your passwords and allow them to take your device anytime they choose? Will you, like Job, make a covenant with your eyes not to look lustfully? Will you change what you watch so that your thoughts are not compromised? Will you give up the gaming that leads to impure imaginations? Will you think purposely, proactively on pure things. The next thing we have is whatsoever things are lovely, which we could say are pleasing, uh, winsome, 
amiable. There's something in scripture that uh, is called a hapax legomenon. Okay. Now, what, what in the world? Okay. Um, it refers to a term that's used only once by an author. Okay. Words that are used only once. There are 686 words used in scripture that are only used by the author of, of that particular book and nowhere else. Okay. Now, in the book of First Peter, there are 54 completely unique words. In Second Peter, uh, there's 62, I think, if I got the number right. This word lovely is one of those words. This word doesn't appear anywhere else in Scripture. Now, when a command is repeated over and over and over again, that ought to get our attention. But when a word is used only once, that should also get our attention. Literally translated, it means extending love towards another. Whatever extends love towards somebody else. Now remember that there are different words in Greek for love. There's agape, and there's phileo, and there's eros. There's another Greek word for love, which is sturgeon, but it never shows up in scripture, and I don't remember what it means. This word here, lovely, is, is phileo, love. The friendship love. Think about the ways that you can extend friendship to other people. Think about the ways you can be a better loving friend. Think about what you would do for your friends. There's, there's no limit to, to what kind of, of, of extending of this love would look like. What would your relationships look like if you thought of ways, if you created ways to be a better loving friend? What do you need to be a better friend? How can you be that better friend? John chapter 15, verse 13 and 14 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Jesus tells us how to be his friend. Now you think on Ways that you can be a better friend. How can you be a better friend right now to your friends? You ponder that. You think on that. You dwell on that. And then you go and do that. The next one we have. What sort of things are of good report? Whatever is admirable. Whatever is you know, kind of attractive. Um, this is another one of those words that only occur here. And it, uh, when Jesus started his ministry... Remember that the news spread. And uh, the news that spread was not always good. They did not always, you know, say nice things about him. It's a similar idea here, but um, we're focusing our minds on, on the good things that we hear. We're, we're, we're spreading good. We're dwelling, we're dwelling on good information. Not the gossip, not the slander, not tearing down, not speculating. What is the sort of report that is going to lift the heart of those who hear it and say, I'm glad I heard that. That is encouraging, that is uplifting, that is edifying. It is those things we think about, those sorts of things, things that are good, that are admirable, that, that, that are attractive, but especially the things about other people. Don't be so quick 
to believe the dirt you hear about somebody. That's not the good report. No, you question that. You, you ask for proof for that. But when you hear of something good from somebody or about somebody, you grab onto that. You think about that. You ponder that. That's not a lot of fun. That's not as much fun for our flesh as it is hearing bad news and thinking, yeah, I knew it. Uh, yeah. See, the, 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 that just feeds your flesh. And that's pointless and it's unscriptural and it's sin. You ponder the good you hear about people. Then it says, if there be any virtue, if there be any excellence. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and then verse 5, it says this, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Same word. Verse 5 says, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue we should add knowledge. So what are excellent things? What are good things? What are the good, excellent things that God has done? What gives God renown? What raises the estimation of God in the hearts and minds of other people? What are the God-following virtues that are seen here to be important, even to those who don't know God, who don't follow God, but because we've been dwelling on, 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 on things that are virtuous and excellent and talking about those things, it raises their opinion of God. Think about the things that make that kind of impression. And they can't help but take notice then. You think on things that have high moral value. You think on things that leave a good taste in somebody else's mouth. Then we see the last one. There be any praise. Is it, is it praise worthy? In Romans chapter 2, verse 29, it says, But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Who are you when nobody's looking? When nobody's going to know, who are you? We can easily become all sorts of people when there's nobody around, when there's no accountability. Paul is talking here about having such a life that God and God only, uh, seeing what you're doing, praises all right, the praise comes from God. When God starts to praise, you know that something significant has happened. What are the sorts of things that would cause God to say about you, about your life, yeah, I praise that. If there's something taking place in the God praising category that's where your mind needs to be and this seems to be one of those in case I missed something this should cover it sort of thing 
Think about the things that would praise God or the things that God himself would praise. If it doesn't fall into any of the other above categories, okay, if, it, uh, if, you can't, if, if you're not sure if it fits in the true category or the honest category or the just or the pure or the lovely, the good report or virtuous category, then, then, then use this as the final filter. Would God praise it? And if he would... That's where your mind belongs. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. That is a lot to think about. And yes, it even takes a bit of work. But imagine, imagine if you did. Imagine if you obeyed this command. Imagine that this this was your perspective. This is your thinking pattern that you would store up volumes of memory of God-honoring thoughts. Just like you put money in the... We always love it when we get to put money in our savings account, right, and see that thing grow, yeah? These thoughts give us so much to draw on. I mean, you ponder and you consider and you allow these types of thoughts to keep going around in your mind. It's a command, so we have to be able to do this. Seeing the consequences of the actions, recognizing the changes which they will bring to your heart and mind and the changes that they'll bring to your behavior. That's what Paul is commanding here. It's an ongoing command. Keep on continually thinking about these kinds of things. Don't let up. Don't give yourself a break. Don't take a day off. Don't let your mind wander. And of course, never, never empty your mind. Never. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter your background or your circumstances. It doesn't matter the hardship that you're going through, the pain you feel, the suffering that God is walking you through, or the grief or the hopelessness or whatever it is right, that's trying to, to drag you down, take you down, cause you to stumble. If you think like this, then you can live like this because you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you inherently have the ability, the capability to obey this command, and you can make your mind do what you want it to do. You can think on these things. You can have this perspective. And then you'll see, and then you'll know, and then you'll think like Christ. Because you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you can do everything that Christ commands you to do. Here he says, this is where I want your mind. This is what I want you preoccupied with. So in Christ, we can be quite, quite perceptive. Stand with the heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we want to thank you again for this time in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you do not ever ask us things that we, uh, we can't do by your empowerment, by your strength, by your guidance. 
And Father, we understand also that we're not talking about some weird mind control stuff. But you give us some guidelines, some criteria on things we're to do with the mind that you have given us. And I pray, Father, that as our mind wanders, as it seeks to dwell on things that are not honoring and glorifying to you, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, that you would help us build in the discipline to redirect our thoughts so that as our mind, as our beliefs honor and glorify you, then our behavior will also glorify you. Lord, that's really our desire, is for you to be glorified, for your name to be lifted up, honored, revered. That people will look at us, and they don't see us, but they see Christ in us, they see Christ through us, because of the work that you have done, and the way that you've changed our thinking and changed the way we act. Help us, Father, to honor you with our obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead, please?